Dark save for light being cast from the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning. Hey, George. What it is, Lions? How goes it? It's good. I spent a lot of my afternoon leading up to this recording thinking about how we were going to do an opening in the voice style of banjo kazooie <laughs> like the way the characters speak mm-hmm. and i couldn't come up with anything that even just playing it out in my mind wasn't unacceptably annoying would you say that you couldn't bear it yes <laughs> yes i would say that yeah would, it just it would. was like shocking to me almost i was like wow this this concept is so ungood like, I can't even get to the end of the idea without being like, I don't want to make that noise into a microphone and then have to, like, ask you to... D- it was just... It was bad. It was all bad. It was bad, bad, yeah, bad, bad. Yeah, no, dude, dude, that whole thing makes me want to flip that whole idea of the bird. <laughs> just no good. Ah. Uh, yep. You're going to just this keep is, this up? For like- <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I actually, I'm going to see how long I can, can keep this this train rolling. I mean, it's it's sweet as honey right now, but it may just peter off. We'll see how it plays out. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really working hard over here. <laughs> I'm, part of me is just like, this is going to be my quietest episode ever as I just try to leave you openings for terrible puns. But that's not how I actually live my life. So what did we play? We played Banjo-Kazooie, which is both the title of the thing and the names of the titular characters. Yeah. And, and I want to be uh, fair to the listening audience that... We played this on the N64. Not yep. just that it's an N64 game, but we played the original cartridge because they actually re-released this game, I think, on the 360. And hmm. I saw a clip of it because I was looking up something that uh, a listener was like, oh, but there's this thing. And so I looked up a clip of it and I was like, these textures look amazing. And so I looked at the description and I was like, oh, this is the 360 re-release. Oh, I could be playing this with a modern controller on like a modern processor on like a mod. Oh my God. And then, I, tri- I tried not to think about it. Goggles. And this is apropos of nothing, but I saw this amazing meme where it just showed like, you know, the, the Xbox console right he mm. said this is an xbox and it just showed the console in the box right and it's like this is an xbox box this is an xbox 360 this is an xbox 360 box right and this is one xbox one right <laughs> and this is one xbox one box and i'm like yeah it does get a little out of control and then and then you know that was pretty much my entire experience with the xbox so i mean I, I feel like you got the most out of it. <laughs> what what, I mean, el- what else would you do with it? It's been it's been almost three years now, or two years, or how long? We, however long we've been doing this, and this is the part where all of the fans find out that we're hardcore PlayStation, you know, junkies, and that you know neither of our breadth or depth of Xbox experience is anything to shake a stick at. No, not at all. But it is worth mentioning that uh, this game. Uh, June 29th, 1998, and because it was originally an Xbox game made by an American company, released in the U.S. first, and I think 
that's like novel because so much of early video gaming was like how long did it take for this to come across the pond right but <laughs> but this was actually a like an honest to god american first um so, so so were some of the arcade cabinets we played but a lot of them were terrible anyway uh, so i actually do have despite not being an xbox kid and despite not being an n64 kid i did have uh friends that had an n64 and that is my like hands-on exposure to this was like oh it's kind of like Super Mario 64, but with a bear, right? That was like, <laughs> that was my lived experience of it. But then my cultural awareness is surprisingly thick. Like this game, I don't think ever really crossed the boundary outside to like non-gamers, right? Whereas mm-hmm. probably anyone on earth could tell you what Mario is if you showed them a picture of Mario, but mm-hmm. I don't think people outside gaming really knew what Banjo-Kazooie was. But even within gaming, like, I still knew what Banjo-Kazooie was, right? Like, I knew, right. I knew like, some of the mechanics. I knew kind of what the gameplay was like. I knew sort of its cultural impact. I knew, like, that they were rare and that rare was this huge deal in gaming, right? So, like, there was this sort of just passive like oh i'm supposed to know this game because i fancy myself a gamer and i'm supposed to care about it and i'm supposed to have all these fond childhood memories of it and it's that's kind of the space it occupies in my brain which is the guilty feeling that it should occupy a bigger (laughs) space in my brain because i have all these fond childhood memories right so it's like a it's like the shadow of Banjo-Kazooie was there, but until this playthrough, there was not a fully formed 3D Banjo-Kazooie to cast that <laughs> shadow. Well, and and I know those feels because, you know, it, it, I think everybody has their uh, gamer shame, you know, where it's just, you know, you've never played it. It's like, don't do not do this. I, I, I had similar things with uh, musical theater because I was did a lot of musical theater growing up and i i to this day and it's become a sticking point now but i have never seen the movie grease never seen it never and seen grease never seen grease you've nope. never seen no never not- seen grease <laughs> yeah like it's what happens every time right and so it's just that that thing where you know <laughs> where you just kind of like see if you can play it off or or another example would be a. Uh, uh, and this is what I'm doing instead of my nostalgia goggles because I don't really have nostalgia goggles for this. But uh, <laughs> so instead you know, I'm going to talk about Greece. <laughs> but uh, but you know, like I'm not a big sports fan either, right? But my uh, my in-laws are, and so they uh, they you know bought me a whole bunch of like Denver Broncos like T-shirts and things like that because they're really into the Broncos. And so I have similar conversations as I would have about Banjo Kazooie with people when I'm wearing that shirt like out and about. Because people will stop me and they'll be like, oh, man, what do you think of this season? And I'm just kind of like, and, and, and then I get to see how far with zero knowledge, I, I know nothing about the subject matter or what's going on. Can I bluff? Can I keep rolling high enough on my bluff checks <laughs> to see if I can get this person to think that I have some modicum of an idea of what's going on? So they'll be like, oh, man, what do you think of this season? I'm like, I don't know, man. It's kind of hard hard for me to really feel feel too strongly about it you know but what do you think and they're like oh i think it's terrible it's like oh yeah i know right it's it's awful and they're like well at least we still have person x it's like yeah person x is pretty good person x is pretty good but they're not the whole team right it's like no of course not we have person y so you're like mining them for information while saying nothing this is you know? just like kind of mild social engineering <laughs> so uh so anyways that 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 was my experience with Banjo Kazooie, which was I 
I I knew this game existed and that it was basically not a Mario clone, you know, like because it, it is its own game. But that's pretty much all I knew. It was a platformer. It had a bear. I was pretty confident it had a bird. I could not tell you that the bear. I knew the bear was named. I thought the bear was named Banjo Kazooie. Like I thought that. Yeah. No. You know. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, then it's like, oh, right. There's the bird. Okay. So the the bear is named Banjo and the bird's named Kazooie. Okay. But yeah, this was this was my secret guilty gamer shame. You know. So. Uh, so it's good to kind of finally flesh this out so that way when somebody says, have you played Banjo-Kazooie? I can say, I have, and I have thought, thoughts about it. Would you care to hear them? So before we go into the episode, uh, I just realized there's something I left out of like my random nonsense section that I would be utterly heartbroken if we didn't get to. So um, can Kazooie leave the backpack or <laughs> is Kazooie the backpack? Because I can't think of a single point in the game you ever see Kazooie out of the backpack, including on the loading screen and in the opening cinematic. Kazooie is in the backpack being hung off like an old-fashioned like wooden standalone coat rack. Mm-hmm. And you, like you see Kazooie's legs come out, right? But then she's still in the backpack. It's just that she's stuck her legs out, right? So mm-hmm. I'm... I'm not convinced that Kazooie is a bird in a backpack so much that she is some kind of backpack bird. (laughs) (laughs) So I, right when you started asking that question, I immediately came up with an idea and then I was just like, I'm curious if I'm even close. And so I typed into Google, why is uh, K A and it said, "Why is Kazooie in a backpack?" <laughs> and I was like, "Good on you, Google." And I don't know if that's because Google knows I like, Google a lot of stuff about games, so it kind of tailored the search. But yeah, it's like apparently a lot of people want to know this question, and so I didn't look any further than that because that's all I I needed to know. Um, here's here's my thought, right? Is that I think that Kazooie can leave the backpack. I think she aggressively opts not to leave the backpack because you see as a young bird, she was like viciously hunted by nature, you know, around her. Right. And then Banjo came in swinging wild. Right. And like managed to beat all these bad guys off of her and then gracefully picked her up and definitely put her into his backpack to carry home and nurture back to health. And so now she has extreme xenophobia of anything outside of the backpack to leave her nightly protectorate at any point in time. So she is capable of it physically, but not emotionally. Did you watch the Garfield cartoon uh yeah i way preferred gazorpazorp field but i am familiar yeah. with no i, I got that because <laughs> i can't even it's not there's, <laughs> there's not even any point in in taking that to ground um yeah so okay so in the garfield cartoon there was like the sub cartoon american acres with like all the farm animals yeah yeah mm-hmm. one of the characters was an egg that refused to hatch and it, yeah. it was an egg, yep. but with the bird legs like sticking out of it. Yep, yep. It's all coming back to me. This is yeah. This is either young Kazooie, right, mm-hmm. or like a distant relative of Kazooie who like had a similar like affliction, right, like mm-hmm. an, an early trauma. But I just I love the idea of just never like. 
like if you you know what it is that's it's 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 the never nudes from arrested development like the people who shower with their clothes on it's like yes i could oh, take yeah. my clothes off like that's kazooie like kazooie's a, like a never backpack lever like yeah she could leave she just won't exactly yeah i mean it's 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 basically like severe agoraphobia i'm not sure if that's the proper term but it'd be, it'd be similar to it you know where it's just she just yeah. does not wish to leave and you know to be fair i i could i could see the appeal of the living in know, a backpack <laughs> well no of, of living in a backpack it's attached to like a, a you know 500 pound murder machine you know like mm. that's kind of nice you know he's nice and warm and fuzzy and good natured except his enemies which he punches to death it's like yeah this is this is okay. Yeah, I guess the uh, the the metaphor would be like a baby Bjorn, right? In, in a, or a baby in a womb, kind of. No. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 that similar return to safety, right? Like if we're getting yeah. all sight, you know. Yeah, like if the, we're gonna go all yeah. Freudian on it. <laughs> yeah, and and his his work is still highly regarded, right? Very highly regarded. Yes, his yeah. his his uh, familiarity with pocket watches and cigars is, I think. And cocaine, I think, is pretty much the only <laughs> the only things he is considered an expert on, <laughs> which he pronounced cocaine. Yeah. Well, I but, mean, I, I imagine he had a thick accent right up until that word, into which he suddenly <laughs> sounded like us in college. <laughs> so, real what quick, were we talking about? I don't oh, right. know. Uh, uh, real quick, uh, we we got some some new follower people. So, welcome aboard, new follower people. We're, we're happy you're here. Um, you know, like and subscribe and review and coffee and Patreon, do all those things. Uh, and also, um, Twitch was a little scarce, not totally abandoned, but other work and life things. I wasn't streaming as much the last couple weeks, but that's all turning around now. So make sure you follow on Twitch so you could watch me suffer through whatever game's coming up next. Woohoo! Yes, and you know, please continue to leave the delightful comments because uh, I, I am always interested. A lot of the people that are leaving comments are leaving great kind of uh, like deep cuts to the show, and so I'm always interested in uh, in which particular random thing you know is the thing that that stuck with people. Like I, I appreciate being rated eight zucchinis. Like that's that's a high rating, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was awesome. All right, now now I think we could talk about the visuals. Let's talk about the visuals. So, um, you know this. This game has very bright, colorful, fun, zany visuals, right? Um, yeah, visual style. Uh, it, it, if without knowing any better, I would say that it was made by Nintendo. You know, it's very, very bright, very block colored. There's a little bit more texturing than I've seen in a lot of the early NES Nintendo games, but not and, not and, like what we saw with the PlayStation. What did I say? NES. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> One of those things. Yeah, wh- 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 whichever platform. You the know, platform you, you just mad on. You you were just that the middle aged mom from that one comic, which was like, <laughs> Billy, put down that Nintendo because <laughs> all I mean, video games are Nintendos. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna be backed into this corner and keep swinging, it it is technically a Nintendo entertainment, entertainment yes. system. <laughs> all right, all right, go on. Uh, but, but like i'm not i'm not happy with that <laughs> i mean if, um, you, if you had called it you know like the coleco vision then yes you would have no yeah. legs to stand on but you just barely managed to hobble along yeah yeah right or or if i called it the, the snes it's like that wasn't a super nintendo it's like it is nintendo entertainment system and i think it's pretty super thank you very much sir but uh <laughs> 
But anyways, no, um, like we've seen in a lot of uh, the early Nintendo games, you know, it's very bright, very colorful. There is some more texturing. Uh, nothing like what was on the early PlayStation games, though, which was incredibly deeply gritty. This is it's bright, it's colorful, and um, the even the opening visual where it has like kind of a, a firefly dive bombing past the screen, and then the Nintendo logo kind of like walks up right off of the cuff. You know what you're in for. This is not Solid Snake. This is not, you know, Castlevania. This is going to be a fun, zany, lighthearted adventure. And the visuals relay that to you right away. And if that's what you're in for, then great. And if that's not what you're here for, then you know to jump ship right at the beginning. I I would say uh, I agree with you almost entirely. The only thing I would say the visuals... I don't want to say the fall down on because i'm quite confident that this is intentional but they mislead you on the difficulty there are parts of this game that are well designed but still really hard and that's not to say anything of the parts that have not aged well and are really hard (laughs) right so so i think they they decided like the kind of game they were going to make and the art style that they wanted it to have and I think they probably just sort of accepted this will be a little bit misleading to some people, right? Because it looks it's it's sort of like how I, I remember in the like in the mid to late nineties when like the Simpsons were super popular and then later like we got Family Guy and right these other four adult cartoons. And that was a relatively new thing in the West, right? Like anime was often for adults but that was like a weird japanese thing right and like parts of europe made like artistic cartoons that were for adults but like that was a weird european thing like in america cartoons were largely understood to be entirely for children and so when like the simpsons and family guy and south park became incredibly popular and were super duper not for small children right not even for young like you know tweenish children. they're not even for some adults yes yeah i mean some some gnarly <laughs> stuff in there right and like uh but it, the understanding was like no we want to use this art style right and i feel like that's exactly what banjo kazooie has done is they sat down and said this is a 90s saturday morning cartoon right it is going to look and feel exactly like that and if people get into the game and they're like why is this so hard and and they've kind of mismatched that in their mind. Like we're willing to take that that hit, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a tiny little like, oh well, technically it's harder than the graphics belie, but you know whatever. That's life. <laughs> Suck it well, up, and, kid. And, and that's that's an interesting point. So I think that, um, yeah, is it basically the the visuals accurately represent the tone of the video game? You know, which is lighthearted fun adventure right but tone and difficulty can be too you know i mean they 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 often go hand in hand you know like so horror games tend to be harder than you know games like mario or uh, yoshi's island stuff like that you know where it's if the art style is very childish then chances are they are trying to appeal to young children and therefore it's easier whereas if it's a very gothic kind of style then it is trying to appeal to adults and therefore is scaled up in difficulty for adults um so it is interesting that this game you know has kind of a disconnect there where they're like hey this is going to be a fun like you said 90s cartoon zany adventure but 
they did not skimp on the difficulty and i don't and we'll probably get into this more into mechanics i don't really know if that's an artifact of the uh if that was a conscious decision or an artifact of how does we, how does one make 3d games you know oh yeah no i mean there's certainly something to be said of like oh th- this is hard because the the skill set was new for the designers as well right. as they didn't want to make a baby game for babies um but i mean ov- overall like the 90s you know regardless of the the preconceived notions i as a player or anyone as a player comes into being like oh this looks like a baby game for babies therefore oh my god it's so hard right but this, the 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 visuals are i don't think it's really actually over aggressive to say like exceptional right because mm-hmm. Not only do they use lots of bright, solid colors, which was pretty common in early N64 games and super fits this art style and tone, but then the few times they don't, like in, in some of the usually like the water or like machiney kind of areas where there's mm-hmm. like lots of grit and dirt and like toxic stuff spewing and you see a lot of like grain and muck and it's not smooth, solid colors. It's so the juxtaposition is so massive that it, it creates this completely different sensation. Like uh, in the like second to last world, um, the water is oily and it like mm-hmm. it kills you. Like even if you are above water, you take damage. And so they, they explain that very clearly to you because you die wicked fast. But there's this <laughs> there's this huge visual distinction it's like oh this is not the magic spring water everywhere else i've been to in the game right this looks gross and it's got like the rainbow sheen right and Mm -hmm. like you go into like the one sewer area where everything's like rusty and none of the metal is like shiny chrome right it like it looks crappy and gross but then most of the time everything looks like it was just painted with one big solid color like paint bucket you know brush tool um and I like that they seem to have had the awareness that most of the time, if you want this kind of like light, silly, fun 90s cartoon, you need lots of solid colors, gentle shading, you know, big kind of round, soft shapes. And then when you deviate from that, don't just deviate a little, deviate super hard. And that will allow you to immediately send the player's alarm bells off because they're like, oh, this thing looks different. It's shaped different. It's moving differently, right? So much information is communicated through those visuals. And you get all of that through, like, I guess, texture mapping that you probably wouldn't have gotten earlier or later in history because in this early 3D era, that solid colors to grainy textures is whoa man like you can't yeah it doesn't matter how little you little of an artistic eye you have like you notice that difference oh yeah and i mean and and that's the thing is that and okay uh let's see this so taoism right um (laughs) go on there's there's the the tenant in Taoism, right? Is that the idea is that you cannot have good without evil, you can't have, you know, like light without darkness, right? Is that opposites define each other, right? So basically, if you really want to jar somebody with a visual, you have to set the their baseline, right? So, you know, and, and this is an argument I get into semi-regularly with people when people you know people say like oh well things are really terrible i'm like well actually your your baseline's off you know <laughs> so like your 
you're baselining terrible as in you had to skip a meal today. Whereas if your baseline for terrible was for good was I got to eat today, you know, <laughs> like then your average day is like living in heaven, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's, so now to bring it to a less philosophical place, right? <laughs> in visuals and video games, right? Is that if you are very doggedly consistent with your visual style and your auditory style, that is all kind of fun zaniness. I mean, even, and we're going to have to juxtapose this a lot to Mario because it just so easily fits that juxtaposition, right? Well, and but, um, intentionally, right? Rare made yeah. no bones about saying like, we want to do our take on Mario 64. And that is essentially what this is. So that's, this is not us being lazy critics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just that, that they did this intentionally, which happens to feed into us being lazy critics. <laughs> Thanks. Rare. Um, we appreciate it. It's uh it's rare that something that nice happens to us, but um, yeah. Yeah. You thought it was done with the honey <laughs> jokes and stuff. Nah, still coming around. Just going to sprinkle them in there. But, uh, <laughs> So if you if you do like even with Mario, right? So you know, you have all these like fun, lighthearted, you know, zany levels, and then the Bowser levels, the music is really different, the textures are grainy, it's very dark, you know, it's 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 more of like the darker like hues like reds and oranges, you know. Same similar similar idea, right? Um, but in order to do that, you have to have baselined it out as being like light and colorful because if you saw the Mario level in Devil May Cry, you would assume that it was that be the lighthearted level, you know, that'd be the the fun because like, oh, look at all these bright, fun colors. It must be a fun level, whereas it's the it's the downbeat on the other one. So I think that they use that scalpel well in this game to relate to you when, you know, everything's fun and lighthearted and when everything is decidedly not. Yeah, I was also uh, pretty impressed with the level of. Uh, little details on things. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in one of the early water levels dying. And when you go in and out of... You just die. I, I die. Just go die. <laughs> yeah. So when you go in and out of the water a lot, uh, you start to notice little things because you're, instead of doing it a dozen times like they expected you to, you're doing it dozens of times. And uh, there's little water droplets uh, and they make little water ripples. So like when you crest the surface of the water, it actually makes, I mean, it's a static asset that they just load every single time, but it still looks nice, right? It just, it makes the world feel a little more alive that they're like, yes, you are crossing into and out of a body of water, right? So that's, that's just a nice little thing. And then when you are swimming underwater, no question, one of the worst things you have to do in the game uh, there are little tiny, mm -hmm. really tiny air bubbles, right? And uh, as I always say, I typically play these games on screen sizes. These games were never meant to be played on. So <laughs> when I see a detail and I'm like, wow, that, that's a really small detail. How small must that detail have been on like a 12-inch television, right? Where you might not even consciously be like, oh, look, air bubbles. But you might notice like subconsciously like, oh, there's like a little trail of air bubbles like going away from us as we're swimming. And I appreciate, like, when you think back to some early N64 games where the draw distance was, like, directly in front of the character's face, that they would mm -hmm. spend processing power on those kinds of world-building details because they are, no question, spending some of their exceptionally limited processing power on those little details. 
but with you know good programming and done in the right way, it I, I think those little touches are worth it. Those little bits of polish do actually feel good, right? Like when you uh, run over certain surfaces, it kicks up like a tiny little dust plume. Did they need mm-hmm. to do that? No. Had I put like 10 hours into the game before I even noticed that it was doing that? Yeah, I did. And I'm fine with it because I've still subconsciously just felt like more natural. Like, yeah, when you're running over sand, there should be like little dust plumes. When you're running over like a solid surface, like concrete or wood or something, probably not, right? So just those those little touches are appreciated at any time, but at this point in history, on this particular hardware, the fact that they dedicated some resources to it, I think that shows a really high level of like visual polish. It does, and, it, and I think that this is kind of one of those things when you can kind of just feel the difference between a game, well, a AAA game versus a a non-AAA game, but also a, uh, a AAA game where people care and a AAA game where people do not, and it's kind of, you know, like a, a cash grab. Yeah, or, big, or, big budget know, does not equal big feelings on the part of the developers. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and so I think that it this is one of those those artistic things that um again like i i have dabbled very very loosely in generating some you know handmade artwork for different games and things like that that i've i've made which eventually one day i will complete and then plug on this show relentlessly um <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> <but> that means... <laughs> yeah no we're, we're just gonna plant the seed now and then like 15 <laughs> episodes later it's gonna be like hey no the game dropped but then you know because these are evergreen episodes nobody will know the timeline um no, this is true. Uh, so, but no, is it's 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 on the little details that can really turn a game, you know? Uh, because yeah, the chances are you 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 didn't consciously notice that, but it did make the world feel real because you don't notice its presence; you notice its absence, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, if there was no dust plumes, it wouldn't. You probably wouldn't say, "Oh, yeah, this." You know, there should be dust plumes. You would just say, like, it feels like I'm walking on plastic, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know why. It just the world feels artificial, you know, and the reason why is because when you're running around, you expect the environment to interact back with you unless it is purely artificial, unless it's plastic. You know, that's why, you know, taking a huge, like you just said, big budget doesn't make big feels like why taking a huge multi-million dollar budget and shooting it all in front of a green screen while (laughs) sitting in your director's chair drinking coffee doesn't necessarily create a full (laughs) enriched experience for the viewer well (laughs) i can't (laughs) i can't think of three specific movies you're referring to (laughs) So, so i think it also ties directly to not just your expectations broadly but your expectations of the tone or of the the style right because and i know like the last of us somehow has become like our like touchstone reference game no matter what it's amazing (laughs) it is amazing so i remember just to wax nostalgic for this for a second i remember playing it and then like highly recommending it to you and and i think if i remember correctly what you said was you are the second person to now say Stop what you're doing, quit your job, <laughs> abandon your family, and go play this video game. So I should probably go pick it up. And that's that's the bar that I've set because, yes, that game is amazing. It is. What were you going but, to play? But the reason I specifically am able to cite it now, even though it seems like we can use it as a reference for anything, but the reason I'm able to specifically cite it now is because that game is supposed to look and feel exceptionally realistic. And Mm -hmm. if every time Joel did a little jog to get away from a clicker, it 
kicked up big wily coyote dust plumes, that would be really stupid. And you would totally mm-hmm. notice that and be like, this is dumb and it's dumb and you're dumb, right? Mm-hmm. But in a game that is very much trying to mimic that Looney Tunes, Disney animation, right, kind of Saturday morning cartoon feel, like, yeah, big cartoony dust plumes are a thing I actually expect. Like, my brain mm-hmm. is looking for those things because I associate that sort of visual cue with this sort of visual style, right? So not only do I think it's it's required just to make the world feel more alive in general, but the things you do to make your world feel more alive in general would differ from like visual style to visual style. And in a case like this, yeah, when Kazooie's, you know, big honking roadrunner feet go clawing across the sand, I need me some damn dust plumes. <laughs> Actually is a very good, good point. That I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought of. So, um, and it's interesting how, you know, we, we all sit upon the, the shoulders of giants, right? Um, I don't think that we're too far afield from talking about the video game, but this is getting a little bit more about game <laughs> games in general. But, um, but like, you know, there are so many different um, uh, standards, basically, that's not the right word, but uh, standards that have been set for, um, you know, different uh, visual styles for different types of games, different types of movies. Uh, the same thing with the music, the, the aesthetic that we're used to, right? So, like you said, if, if, if I saw giant dust plumes kicking up behind Joel, that would be weird. If I saw, um, if I heard the same sound effects in the last of us in banjo kazooie that would be weird right like if you heard you know like the, that kind of like like sand on grit on concrete you know walking thing and all of a sudden sh- 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 of him like shuffling behind you know like cover or something like that that would be super weird right and i mean we even see it more so in those comedy um youtube uh, preview videos where it was like the shining but if it was a rom-com oh yes where they show like how just a little bit of music and like yeah and editing can completely change everything yeah exactly and that's all it is is that they literally just took a preview all the scenes are the same but they just changed the music and made it the instead of the inner world where it was like this is joel he's a bad writer or whatever his name was right you know <laughs> that is that is one of my favorites that one the shining one <laughs> that one's so good. yeah shining one's really good um but yeah so there it takes a lot of time, energy, and effort to really understand the type of game you're trying to make and make sure that the visual style is cohesive. And so that way, when you add those little details, you add them in the right places. And uh, and I do think the Banjo-Kazooie shows that level of attention and that level of detail. Um, I don't really think that the visuals fell down in any way in that uh, in that arena. I, I will say my, my last comment about the visuals is uh, in line with the Saturday morning cartoon thing, there's only a handful of times that I would say they really went for like 90s kid Saturday morning cartoon gags, right? Mm. Because, you know, like they just, the, the characters are like big and round mostly, right? So there's like big noses and a lot of like big staring mm-hmm. eyeballs and like there's just a lot of, uh, the, 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 oh God, what's his name? He has like an incredibly insensitive name, but like 
Doctor <laughs> Ungamunga, like the the witch doctor, right? Yeah. Like whatever his, mm-hmm. his name. That's not his name. It's not that far off. Like it's incredibly right. <laughs> like like oh, this is how white people see the islands, right? <laughs> um, but you know, right. all, all of those like stereotypes, like writ so large that they almost Pac-Man around it- and are not insensitive because they've gone so overboard. Dr. Mumbo Jumbo? Mumbo Jumbo. It's not doctor. It's just Mumbo Jumbo. Yeah. Yeah, it's just Mumbo Jumbo. But he has the yeah. giant wooden mask on. He's a witch doctor. Yep. Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but in the uh, haunted mansion, I guess, that they all had cute names, but in, like, the Oogie Boogie Frankenstein level, um, one of the jiggies is uh, you go to the flower pots next to all these graves, and you have to make the flowers grow in the flower pot and that's how you get that jiggy and the way you do that one is you use kazooie's like egg attack Mm -hmm. but kazooie has two egg attacks one where they come out of her mouth and they fire straight forward like a missile and one where they fire the other way and they kind of bounce out of her bottom and it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And right. And so I when it occurred to me like, oh, they want me to put the eggs into cuz you never use that move because it's not an attack. It's basically pointless. Yes, I think it'll technically hurt enemies, but come on. So like <laughs> when it occurred to me like that that's what I had to do. Uh I I was playing that section of the game on Twitch and I I must have had a look on my face as I was like crapping these eggs into these uh, pots to make flowers grow because every time that happens, the person in the grave goes, Thank you. And yeah, and I must add a face like that because, <laughs> because it popped up in the chat. It just, you look so alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, the one, the one final note I had for visuals that I really think we, we got to touch on is, um, because, if you're gonna <clears throat> if you're gonna crap all over it for Mario, um, the, the the camera handling, like the camera controls are exactly like they were in Mario. They're and, exactly like they are in Mario, and the only reason I didn't bring them up is because all of my camera comments are in controls. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So I mean, we well, can, we can do this now if you want. That's fine. But yes, I do have things to say about the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it now. Um. So yeah. So I mean, like. Th- you know, if you want, if you want a full blown feel on kind of like how we feel about these camera controls, go listen to the Mario episode. <laughs> um, so, because you know, we don't we don't need to rehash the whole the whole thing because it is almost, if not exactly, a one to one. But basically, long story short, is that at this time in history, they did not have dual analog sticks, right? So you couldn't just control the camera at the same time. Really, our our existing theory at the time, unless yours has changed, is that they did not think that that level of input was like capable of humans so like no we'll mostly take the camera control completely away from you and you can manually dink around with it if you absolutely have to and i cannot tell you how many times i was just kind of like rotate the camera rotate the camera i can't see what i'm doing rotate the camera and then like i would rotate the camera and i'd be like okay and then because and this feeds into my one other note which was i said that the hitbox for the notes sucks right and i'm not sure that's true I think that my ability to control the camera and see where, because okay, when I was <laughs> when I was younger, there was a game in. The, do you remember like 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 
you know, science museums. Science museums are awesome, right? There's a game in the science museum where basically you 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 looked into a, a box, right, and it had two um, sticks. One of them was stationary, and you could control one that went like backwards and forwards from you, like on a on a row, right? Mm. And so you could roll it backwards and forwards. And basically, what they said was they were like, line this stick up with the other stick, right? Oh, so it's and like a little go- depth perception game. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so then you could go around the side and see how far off you are because it's like, yeah, you see, because when you take away all of your other framing devices, your depth perception gets a little wonky. Right. That was this, which was that I, you know, because the camera was so bad and the hitboxes were not huge, I would just blow right past notes and have to like double back and i'd blow by him again i mean i had to look like an idiot you know because yeah. i'd just be running circles around the snow box like why can't i pick this up i mean my one-year-old picks up things with more depth deficiency than i could pick up some of these music notes and i really do think it comes back to just the fact that the camera controls in this era they're they're not what you think they were all players who were thinking about going back and playing nintendo era games that the camera controls are not what you remember of them. You are taking existing camera controls and you are mentally plastering them on old games. It's not what you think it is. Beware, you know, th- <laughs> there be monsters, <laughs> those who go here. Beware the monsters. So I'm actually really glad you brought this up now because, it, like, in visuals, I mean, uh, because somehow I'm combing through my notes and I actually forgot to write this down. So mm. you've now jogged my memory, which is, uh, through the lens haha, of the camera controls, I realized something, which is uh, the camera in this game is uh, free rotating almost always, right? So you can use the C-stick or the C-buttons, I guess they are. Pad. You can use the C-pad, the C-arrows uh, um, to rotate the camera in like stages, right? Or you could, I, th- I think you can just hold it down and, and force it. But... Unlike Mario, if you hold the put the camera behind me button all the time, the camera stays behind you about 90% Mm. of the time. And for (laughs) me, that was actually what I wanted most of the time. And then for certain platforming challenges, I would let it go, put the camera into profile, and then jump, you know, platform to platform because profile was the vastly superior camera angle for that particular uh, thing. The reason I say this all connects to the notes is because there are some places, usually very tight areas, where they actually turn off the camera controls. It's not that the camera controls are like they fight you or that they behave differently. They literally become non-responsive in these certain areas. And I think what happened is they said, okay, in this area, if the camera isn't fixed, it's going to cause lots of problems, right? Like the camera might clip through a wall and you won't be able to see anything because at this time in history, they hadn't figured out that when the camera's on the other side of the wall from the player, you should make the wall invisible, right? Or uh, you might have like a puzzle and if you can see it from any other angle, the puzzle will either make no sense or be laughably easy to solve. And the reason that this matters is because there are a lot of notes that are in these tight areas where you can't control the camera. And what I realized is that the notes do not cast shadows. Mm. And when you are trying to do tricky platforming in an area where you can't control the camera, I caught myself asking the question a lot. Like, am I even lined up? Like, I know, (laughs) I know roughly how far the camera is from the note because the note is getting larger as the camera approaches it. But am I, 
I approaching it because I can't line up my shadow with the note shadow because the note doesn't cast a shadow. And this is something that they thought of because other objects cast shadows. There are other mm. collectibles in the game that cast shadows. I don't know why mm. the notes don't cast shadows. I even, during this rant, brought up a couple screenshots in Google Images just to make sure I'm not an idiot. And no, notes do not cast shadows, and I don't know why. And when you combine that with the inability to control the camera in certain areas, you end up, and I guarantee you this happened to you while you were swimming, right? Where you're just trying to swim. And you're oh just, my God. Because the swimming controls are terrible, which is why I had all of this in controls. <laughs> because you're, <laughs> you're trying to swim circles around this note, which distracts you from the fact that you're about to drown, right? And so... So like this was oh, my I mean I, I would sometimes shoulder into it man like I was like I will drown <laughs> before I come up if I do not get this note like I would just I I would just cut off my notes to spite my face I would get so frustrated with just swimming circles around and 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 around this note that I I was like nope nope then then you'll die if you do not pick up this note you will die and I'll be happy yeah yep so <laughs> yeah I don't know why the notes either don't always cast shadows or never cast shadows. I don't know why uh, they thought that was a good idea when you other things seem to cast shadows and they thought it was a good idea for like literally every other collectible in the game or thing that you have to interact with. It's a weird, it's so weird and so out of place in a game that otherwise has so much visual polish. I honestly think it's a bug. Like I think, I, I think they, it's either a bug in the code or it was like a, a genuine oversight. I would not be surprised if in the 360 re-release of this, the notes cast shadows. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so that was all I had for visuals. Do you want to move on to audio? I do. Uh, and I, I should point out here as we're about to go into our second segment that at the top of literally every segment, I realized I could appropriately use the phrase, it's like a 90s Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> so I literally just did put that phrase at the top of every single segment in my notes. Nice. Excellent. It's like a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the visual style is, uh, or sorry, the, the audio style is very, very zany, very off the top, very 90s cartoon, very Looney Tunesy. Um, the one, the one thing that you kind of mentioned already that stood out to me that I think is worth discussing is the uh, dialogue. Right? It's very like <laughs> wah, 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 right. Um, uh, and Gertie's the it, worst, it, and she talks the most. She does. She talks all the time, and in those weird rhymes, and it, uh, it just all of the time she speaks in those rhymes. I was gonna really say it's infected you. <laughs> Oh God, he's one of them. Stay back, pod person. Um, but so what? And to be fair, it is a very distinct choice. Um, it didn't super bother me. It clearly super bothers you. Um, but but, uh, but that's the thing: is, is love it or hate it is a decided style. And I think that honestly, I, I really put some thought into it, and I can't really think of what else they would have done because I think having no sound, right? Um, in this zany '90s action movie, it, yeah, it it could have that could have been fine. I mean, it worked okay for Mario, you know. Mario is not quite exactly the same aesthetic that they were going for here, and the only other option would have been actual voice acting, which I'm sure they had neither the budget, but certainly not the memory space for. No, you know. But here, so here's my thing: uh, this game generously allows you to speed up the dialogue. Um, 
which just a weird aside, I was also going to mention this later, but it's weird that in this game that ostensibly is aimed at young children, the text auto scrolls and you can't pause it. So like Hmm. if you miss something, a character says that's just too damn bad. That information is just gone forever. There's no way to go back through the information. You often can't reinitiate a conversation. So like, I was genuinely surprised. I was like, oh, that you can speed it up, but you cannot slow it down. So they, they expect a certain amount of literacy or more, right? You must be this literate to ride this ride. Yeah, but when you speed it up, it also speeds up the talking sound effect. And and each character, it's not like they're all wah-wah peanuts adults, right? Like Banjo's is like, <laughs> right? And Kazooie's got like this chirpy, like, right? And Gertie's is like mm-hmm. kind of like Kazooie's, but like way like witchier, gravelier. And what killed- what does her sound like? <sighs> it's like a. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that seriously just like really hurt my voice. <laughs> Uh, it was worth it for me. I don't know if it was worth it for you. No, but, uh, no, totally. Worth it um, but so <laughs> what bothered me is that they use that as a way to indicate that a character is speaking and the character's face is on screen and their text is different color, right? And there's a text crawl. But what I really wish they had done was just a, like a single, like if every time mm. Banjo spoke, it just did one like, like at the beginning instead of the whole time he's talking and especially Gertie because hers is very grating. I mean, it's supposed to be right. It's not an accident. It's very grating, but she talks constantly like this. She, she's never in the room with you, right? Until you get to the final boss, but she can like see you and is aware of what you're doing. And she is just like launching rhyming slams at you. Like, you're a jerk and you're going to screw this up. You jerk, right? Just like a lot of you can't win. I'm the best. Like you're going to fail. There's no way you're going to be successful in your endeavors. I don't think she uses the word endeavors, but like, (laughs) but because she's talking so much, there's just that grainy noise happening all the time. And because she is talking over other game activity, you can't always use the buttons to make her talk faster because that might interfere with you playing the game right whereas most of the other dialogue happens like in a dialogue moment where nothing else is happening so it's not as bad as like the donkey kong walking noise right like it's not that level of just oh dear god why is this noise happening so much but i really think they could have made it less obnoxious if it was just at the start of each person's dialogue it just did their little dialogue noise once each time they spoke yeah, no, I think that that's right when you said it, I'm like, yeah, that that would have been better. That that would have been the call. Because I do think that there needs to be some kind of audio cue, you know, uh, and obviously doing proper voice acting was a, a non I don't think it was a non option. I mean, they 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 did have they have voice lines in Goldeneye. They do the amount. This game actually has a substantial amount of dialogue, right? Because mm. Banjo and Kazooie sometimes talk to each other. They some there's little like sort of mini bosses in every level. At least one that has some dialogue, right? And they all have different voices. Um, and then uh, the mole who gives you all your skills talks to you a lot. 
I do not care for him. No, <laughs> but there, there's a <laughs> lot of dialogue, right? So I, I, I right. don't think they could have gotten it all onto an N64 cartridge. No way. But yeah, but I think that, uh, that, you know, having it just kind of ping you that this person talking would have kept the aesthetic and, and not been quite as grating. The one other thing that I did want to mention, um, just to see uh, where, where, it, where it hit you was, uh, so, you know, there's there's some some walking sound effects, some very distinct walking sound effects that that Kazooie makes. How the how that how that tickle you, huh? So it actually you like that. It actually bothered me less than you would think. Not that it didn't bother me. It is still annoying, but it it bothered me <laughs> less than you would think because when you are walking as Banjo, you have this kind of slow, like sloshier movement, and when you walk as Kazooie, it is fast and mostly precise except when you try and completely reverse direction but like you can make very sharp near instantaneous turns right and and you are so or at least i was i was so focused on what i was doing when i was running as kazooie because it's like i have to get from here to there i have to do these platforms and i'm going to do it you know twice as fast as i would as if i was banjo and so there was the noise was like a good sound effect kind of fading into the background and had less of my attention. Right. And there's like this amazing music. Like we, we jumped almost right over the music. I love the music in this game. This music started out fantastic and it stayed fantastic. I was really happy with the music all throughout Banjo Kazooie, but the sound effects uh, are like where there's more peaks and valleys. Like some of them are like, Oh, that was like an amazing little, like that noise sounded good or like it felt good. Like that was a great little sound effect. And then there's the walking sound, which is horrible, but somehow <laughs> managed to not make me want to kill myself. The sound effect that made me want to kill myself is the way the snowmen laugh in this, the icy level. Cause mm-hmm. they can hit you from damn near anyone on the map or damn near anywhere on the map, and they go, oh, 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 oh. And it's like, <laughs> if you hear that, the sense of dread when you only have like one or two honeycombs left, and you're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And because you don't know what direction it's coming from, it's not like it's 5.1 Dolby surround sound. Like, you could be coming from anywhere. <laughs> and that's that's when Banjo-Kazooie went from lighthearted platformer to survival <laughs> horror. It, yeah. That but, whole level was, it was actually survival horror for everyone within a mile of me. Cause I was like, <laughs> if I don't beat this level, like I'm, this is how I become the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then just going out of your house, you start dancing down the stairs. And, uh... <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, as, as usual, I mean, that, that, that's kind of all I had for, uh, for audio is yes the, the music is is good and delightful the the sound effects uh were good and delightful um but yeah the uh the the to me the big thing that stands out is the uh the talking and um and i i mean i could not bring up the walking thing yeah. you know no that that's fair i will say uh because i don't know if i've ever said this uh on this show but as this game has like light nostalgia goggles for me i wasn't intimately familiar with the music and I can genuinely say that some of these tunes have made their way into my I walk around humming and whistling these like lists. Like nice. Right? Like I was I I thought that door was closed forever. But you know, but I like it's weird to go back in time 
and have that thing incept itself into my brain as if I have those fond memories from the 90s playing this game. Like, that's the way I would walk around, you know, whistling, like, the Super Mario Brothers theme, which is unbelievably, indescribably, indisputably iconic. And this isn't, it's not that high on the priority list or on the, you know, the all-time greatest hits list, but the fact that it's even on that same playlist where I will catch myself just kind of humming or thinking about that music. I was like, wow, that's that's about the highest praise I can personally give to video game music is like, you're right up there in my mind with like Mario, where when I catch myself humming you, not only am I not pissed that this jaunty tune is stuck in my head, but I'm like happy to walk around whistling this song. Like that's a weird, yes. it, it's a, it's like the opposite of the way people feel about like commercial, like jingles and advertisements is like, mm-hmm. it has that level of stickiness, but you're happy when it, you realize you're humming the banjo kazooie music, not <laughs> wondering if you can look up that person's address and go throttle them. <laughs> yeah, and then somewhere somewhere in between those two is like music that you're really happy to have in your head for a little bit. And then <laughs> yeah. and, and one of the ones for me is the the hot dog song from Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse. Which I was just about to sing a segment of, but I don't want YouTube or uh our, our podcast host to slam us with a bunch of copyright violations. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that, that's one where I'm just kind of like, you know, all right, you know, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. Uh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, this, yeah, again, um, definitely really, really enjoyed the music. It was, uh, I, I don't think it quite got to the Mario level for me, but I could see that, you know, whereas if somebody said, you know, Oh yeah, the F Zero music is really like Mario to me. I'd be like, do you? Do you no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, and I I know some of that comes from exposure, and I sank way more time into this game than I was actually expecting to, partially because I was enjoying it, and partially because there were a couple of parts I really struggled with. Um, but that repeated exposure does. That's where the fork starts to happen, where you're like. Like, oh, wow, this music is is becoming like something I think of and enjoy. And the other path is, oh, wow, if I have to hear this song one more time, that might be the thing that turns me into the Joker. <laughs> right? like, and so it, it's just it's I think it's a big hat nod to or hat tip to the composers that it's like, oh, after about two to three times as many hours of exposure to your music as I was originally expecting to get. I, I didn't want to go and watch the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, that's high praise. High praise. <laughs> uh, mechanics, controls? Yeah, a lot of my control notes have now been supplanted into visuals, and that's fine. I will specifically mention, though, that uh, on the control side specifically, um, is the dive bombing technique? Uh-huh. Did, did you get far enough to get the dive bombing thing? Uh, yeah, it's not it, the. Not the butt slam. No, it's like where you're flying and then you launch yourself forward. So you're flying as Kazooie and then you like mm-hmm. blast, you rocket straight forward. And you, there, no, there no, are certain, yeah, there are certain enemies that you can only kill, like the snowmen, that you can only kill with the least precise, most like broad, useless tool in your entire tool belt. And so uh, that's horrible. And it's made more horrible by the camera because when you initiate the dive bomb, you can't exit it. You go until you collide with something, right? And uh, if that 
thing is not an enemy, you take damage. Mm. Right? And then you, mm. yeah. And then you pair that with the camera controls, not always making it clear exactly which direction you're going to go, like dive bombing in. Sometimes it's directly along the line of sight of the camera. Sometimes it's not. Right? And so it's just, you end up with this like camera controls mismatch that doesn't really happen anywhere else in the game. Everywhere else in the game, you may feel like the camera is not the camera angle that you want, but you don't feel like the camera angle has given you broken and unusable controls, except in this technique. It's not, it's not the camera angle that you want. It's the camera angle that you need. No, it's not that either. Uh, <laughs> So this one is instead of like Batman running off into the distance, it's just him like flailing arms out to the side. And it's like, I don't, I don't think this is the hero that we deserve. No, you, or you know what it is. It's at, instead of Batman running off after, you know, saying, you know, I, I killed those people. Right. And like, and like push, <laughs> pushing Harvey Dent's face back from the two face over to like the, the healthy Harvey Dent face. He falls off the building. Everybody realizes Harvey Dent is dead. And then Batman does the Peter Griffin. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, but actually your note leads me uh, very well into one of the things that I wanted to uh, art- artfully and very carefully dissect and whine about, which is uh, <laughs> the flying dude. It, okay. So here's yeah. the thing. Yeah, I mean, the, that- the dive bombing is that, but more worse. Like it, it's a continuation into worseness. <laughs> Yeah, it, it continues the trend line. They were like, well, what if it was this bad but faster? Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, so so here's the thing, is that platforming games, right, is about having ultimate control over X dimensions and trying to develop control over X plus one dimensions, right? Yeah, so that's... Yeah, you know, so like in a in a two D platformer, right? You have infinite control over one dimension linearly, right? right? And it's how deft you can be in controlling the y axis, right? So in this one, you have control over the x and y axis, being the 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 platform that you're on, the ground, right? And it's how deftly you can control the z axis. So in this place of emerging z axis jackassery, um, you know they. <laughs> They really struggled with when you had unfettered access to the Z axis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that becomes very apparent when you're swimming and when you're flying. And the main problems with your when you're flying is that you have to stay in constant motion, whereas when you're swimming, you can't just sit there and like slowly line up the note, right? But when you're flying, you're in constant motion, right? And so I was like, man, but... Mario was able to do this. How come Mario's flying <laughs> controls didn't suck? And then it hit me. They did. And that's why you couldn't do it a lot. Yeah. You yeah. Know? They were terrible. Yeah. And so they make it exceptionally limited. And I'm not sure ever required. You need is, to fly to beat Banjo-Kazooie. I don't know that you need to fly to beat Mario 64. Or, I mean, I, I'm confident that you don't because most of Mario 64's stars do not need to be collected. So there are certainly oh, yeah, stars that need, be, that need to be... In order to get the star, you need to be able to fly, but you just don't get that star. You know, maybe maybe you don't do this one, you know? So, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, but Banjo-Kazooie, you absolutely have to fly, and it absolutely does suck. Whereas with Mario, I remember the flying so fondly because it was so limited, and wherever you could do it, you had this, like, amazing free open range. You did not have to be nuanced with your controls, right? You could just zoom and zip all over the place, 
and then uh and then hopefully you hit your target or you didn't whatever it was amazing right whereas this one trying to do nuanced detailed necessary game required controls with this kind of clunkiness was uh it was bad man it was real bad did not care for it at all no i I would say the the platforming in this game aged incredibly well the swimming aged poorly but if you are patient it is manageable the flying aged the worst of all your modes of transportation and the fact that the (laughs) dive bombing is required to beat the game because there are sections of the game where you have to use the dive bomb just to navigate the world and it's required to beat the final boss so i was just like uh, actually, the final boss in defense of the game mechanics, you basically have to do everything you learn how to do in the game at least once. The, the final boss is like a, a pretty masterfully thought out, let's prove you can do everything we taught you, which I couldn't. I didn't beat it. Um, <laughs> but uh, because the dive bombing mechanic is just so utterly nightmarish, I caught myself in certain parts of the game choosing to put stuff off and come back to it later. And that's, uh, you know, to steal a quote from Ego Raptor, like, you should never catch yourself saying, oh, I'll check that room later in a game about checking rooms, right? Like, <laughs> if every time I was like, oh, I'll go and collect that thing later in a game about collecting stuff, I was like, that's not, I shouldn't have that feeling. My feeling should be like, oh, I know how to get up there. I just need to find one of the red feather launch spots and I'll be zooming up to that jiggy in no time. But what instead was more likely to happen was, if I really need this jiggy to unlock the next level, then I will come back here and get it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that's, it's not good. Um, also too, uh, you, you kind of gave me a good, uh, platform to jump off of. <laughs> uh, I just, I love to see you soar. <laughs> well, just get, give me the feather and give me wings. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, right. Again, uh, <laughs> We so collectathon, right? That's that's what this game is. It is a collectathon. Oh yeah, um, this is the meat of my mechanics notes. Excellent. Yeah. So great, great minds and stuff. Um, the game's a collectathon. Mario is kind of uh, Mario sixty four is to a degree a collectathon. You collect the stars, right? The biggest difference is that in Mario you get stars by completing tasks, not necessarily collecting stuff. Like sometimes you got to defeat big bombs, sometimes you got to win a race, sometimes you got to get to a certain place. Sometimes there's tons of different variety of things that you do in order to get the stars. This thing, all you do is collect stuff. There's stuff everywhere, and you got to go get it. You just got to go find it and collect it, and it actually becomes a negligible difference in kind so even though there's a whole bunch of different things that you're doing in order to play the game ultimately you're just you're just collecting stuff and that kind of got stale for me so it does pick up in its novelty in the second half of the game almost too much there were <laughs> there were a few jiggies that I was like like the the ones with like pooping the eggs into the the flower pots like although viscerally I did not enjoy that cerebrally when I realized like oh these flower pots are very distinctly placed and there are flowers next to other tombstones I must have to do something to make flowers come out right And so, like, when I solved that little puzzle and then the jiggy just, like, popped out of the ground, like, that felt good, right? And then there's other areas where it's just like, oh, 
okay, I think like I haven't been up there, but there's like something in the way that part of the level is designed, right? Because there's not a lot of superfluous space. Like almost everywhere you can go, there's something to get there, right? There's just so much stuff to collect, but they didn't give you gigantic wide open areas that are devoid of loot. There's something almost everywhere and anything that seems like, oh, that's arranged in an odd way or, oh, that hill looks suspicious or something almost always turns out you were right. And so in the second half of the game, to keep the difficulty going, they have to get weirder and weirder with their novelty to the point where I had to look a few jiggies up and I was like, I have no, I know there's another jiggy in this level. I have no freaking idea how to get it. And I looked it up and I was like, no, nope, no. I never, <laughs> it never would have occurred to me to do that. Like that's, maybe it's because I'm an adult. Maybe it's because I'm an idiot. Maybe it's because I'm an idiot who's an adult. Like, but I, there, there were just certain things that I was just like, I can't, I wish I'd made a list of the specific ones that I was just like, no, but there were just a handful that I was like, I never would have realized that you have to like in friggin' Castlevania too. Right. It's just like, like now that I know that you need to do it, I can see which levers to pull and buttons to press, but I never, ever, ever would have figured that out. Right. And then, uh, the thing that was really driving me nuts about the collectathon nature of it, again, to very intentionally compare it to Super Mario 64, is Super Mario 64 basically said uh, there's one thing that you got to collect, and that thing does all the things. So if you want to mm -hmm. go uh, progress through the game, you got to collect some of the thing. If you want to go into other worlds, you got to collect more of the thing. If you want to eventually get to the do and defeat the boss, you got to collect a lot of the thing. If you want to see the bonus levels and see these other areas, you got to collect all or almost all of the thing. If you want Yoshi, you got to collect a hundred percent of the thing, right? Like there's, it's a very simple set of instructions. And then there's just like achievement gates, right? Like 10 of the thing collected, 15 of the thing collected, 45 of the thing collected, and in Mario, it was stars, right? And then in uh, Super Mario Odyssey, it's moons. But it's literally the exact same formula. And Odyssey has other crap you can collect, but none of it matters with like one or two incredibly minor exceptions. But the moons are it. The stars are it. In Banjo-Kazooie, they took the idea of a collectathon and forgot that it's not collecting if catching them all is required right <laughs> if every pokemon master had to collect one of every single pokemon that wouldn't make ash special right like he wants to be the very best like no one ever was by collecting all the badges from the gyms and getting all of the pocket men's right like that's what makes him different from every other schlub in banjo kazooie you have notes which open doors you have Jiggies, which unlock new worlds, and then you have Crystal Skulls, which are the biggest screw you, because there are notes and Jiggies that are inaccessible without getting enough Crystal Skulls to have Mumbo Jumbo cast his magic on you in that level. So you have a gating mechanic that's behind another gating mechanic that while you're dealing with those gating mechanics, you have to deal with a third gating mechanic to progress all the way through the first two gating mechanics. And here's the thing that actually put me over the edge. It wasn't that. 
it wasn't like, oh, you need notes to open note doors and then jiggies actually open the level and then you get more notes and more jiggies and then you can open more note doors and unlock more levels. That's actually not the thing that bothered me. What bothered me is when I got to the end of the game and three times I was brought to a grinding, forcing me to backtrack halt because I didn't have enough jiggies and I didn't have enough notes. So I went back and I got more notes and then I unlocked the door and then I was like, oh, okay. And then I went to put the jiggies down and the jiggies, did. I didn't have enough jiggies to do that final like painting. And then I was like, okay, so I'm back and I got more jiggies and you do that. And then there's one final set of note doors you have to open. And I was just like, okay, let's do the math. And so if, <laughs> if you look you need, there's a hundred jiggies in the game and to finish the game, you need something like 92 of them. There's like 900 notes and to finish the game, you need like 800 of them, right? right? Like it's not a -a collect-a-thon in the sense that it's like, oh, there's lots of this this resource and you can get as much as you want. It's, there's an, an absolutely known amount of this resource and you need basically all of it if you want to finish the game. And not even, there's like some bonus stuff you can do at the very, very end of the game. And those things, you literally have to 100% the game to get access to those resources, like double life and instantly refill your eggs and your other like depletables, like your feathers and stuff. But just to even be allowed to attempt the final boss you have to basically 100% the game or like 89% the game. And that just, mm-hmm. somehow that in my in my heart, that just really detracted from the collect-a-thon-ness of it. Well, because then you're not clever for finding, you know, like the special cliff that had that one note, like it's required. The game designers expect it of you, which means that you are not exceptional, you are average. And that... Well, you're quelch- you're you're not average. You are adequate. Adequate, yeah. You, and it and it quashes your discovery because it's like I didn't discover some secret. I found the thing that the designers expected me to find. Um, yeah, and it, what, it does change it from a an exploration focused collectathon to just a long platforming fetch quest. Which again. I'm actually you're not, you're not a pioneer adventurer. <laughs> you're a guest at Disneyland. Yeah, and and very much like that joke continues on. Like, I still actually enjoyed the platforming challenges and stuff a lot, but it took something away from getting all of my trading cards. When I was like, well, the goal was always to get the whole set, not to get as many as I wanted to. I I always had to aim for a complete set of of baseball cards, right? And that's just like. That made me just feel differently about it as a collectathon, not about it as like an open world platformer, because it totally does that. But just the collectiness of it feels cheapened. And and so interestingly, I didn't care for the way they had set up the collectathon, but for a different reason. <laughs> um, which is that but kind of coming from the same thing. So because you, you kind of warned warned me earlier on, like, yeah, you you, you gotta get most of the notes. Like, don't don't circle back. Get most of those in the first pass. I was like, okay. So, um, the the thing is that, like you said, is that in order to progress through, you have to connect, collect, uh, you know, the majority of the notes, right, in order to get past the doors. Um, if you die or quit, you're done. 
You know, like you, you then like your notes aren't saved. It's not like, you know, once you collect a note, it is collected forever. And it would be very easy to do that because it could just be like a clear note now to be like, hey, I know you left and came back and you've gotten this note before. You can go pick it up again, but it doesn't count, you know, but no, like you, you leave, you got 35 notes, then you come back in, you've got it. You're starting at ground zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so th- this is an important distinction, right? Because the jiggies are one, one and done. You collect those. Mm-hmm. The crystal skulls are also one and done once you collect those you're done but the notes which are as important to move through yeah as important as the jiggies right they are uh you get a single shot to get your best note score to the point where the mole guy even calls out when you beat your note score right like it's it's that mechanically different from the other two things you have to collect that there is in world dialogue about it Right, which means that, and since basically that is, because the game doesn't operate on, like, if you get any one of these things, you can progress through the game. The game is based off of limiting reagent, right? Which is if you fail to collect any of these things, you cannot get through the game. Which basically means, renders two of the three meaningless, right? It You don't need notes, jiggies, and mumbo jumbo tokens. You need one, because, you know what I'm saying? Like, like... If you're missing any of them, then you can't get through the game. So it's not like, oh, well, collect, you know, if you like this type of play style, then collect this type of thing because that's what collecting this type of thing is geared behind. It's like, nope, you got to do it all. But here's the here's the problem, right, is the Snickers time, right? <laughs> so now if cycle time, right, because because these are evergreen episodes, I'm just going to touch on it every time. Because cycle time is the amount of time between when you fail and when you get to try a thing again. Uh, the amount of time that you have to put into a game in order to get a satisfying gaming experience has a name. Not everyone knows what it is, but we've dubbed it the Snickers time, right? So now, the Snickers time in Mario is the amount of time it takes for you to get a star, right? So typically five minutes-ish, you know? Five y- minutes. Yeah, some of them- level start to star collection, I would say is... I would be surprised if any of those is over a double digit number of minutes. Yeah. Five to 10 minutes. Maybe there are some that are like 15, you know, but those would be like the really hard ones, but yeah, about five minutes. So it's, it's very easy. Just like you pop in, you go like, Hey, I'm just going to go collect a star or two. You jump into a painting, you collect a star, you know, you move on with life. Right. With this thing. um, If you don't 100% note score that level, then you're not there's no point in moving on right and 200 percent note score level is time consuming you know it i mean like i sat there for and and the problem isn't isn't the fact that it takes more than it probably if you know where everything is only takes about five minutes to collect everything but the point is that you don't know where everything is because the point is exploration right so if i'm exploring the level and i've got 60 percent of the notes i have not had a satisfying gaming experience because i'm going to quit out and know that i can't really progress i've got to go back to that level and now try again from the beginning Mm -hmm. right so it's exhausting and it's not that's not enjoyable right i mean so that one tweaked mechanic right causes the entire collectathon to now be a chore right like i've got to i have i have to deeply thoroughly explore everything in the level ideally on my first pass which is going to take me like at least half an hour if not an hour right i mean there are jrpgs that are not as unforgiving with their snickers time as this game is and it's insidious and it's not something that you would expect going into it well and um this 
what happened to you is that because I had started playing this earlier than you did, and I got to a point where I had to backtrack and collect notes because you can actually go through several doors before oh, yeah. not hundred percent note scoring the level catches up with you. And, and if you've been like 80% note scoring, you can go through a fair amount of the game before it catches up with you. So what I was warning you of is like, Oh, if you don't want to have to backtrack, right. But then that harshed your experience in the other direction where you felt like your forward momentum was, had slowed to a crawl, whereas like I had crashed into a, a dead end and then had to turn around, right? So like the same, I think, not really well implemented mechanic essentially gave us this the same experience in the end, but two different vantage points on it, right? Where like you you had the burden of knowledge on you from the beginning or from an early state. Whereas I had driven all the way down to the end of the street, confirmed that it was a dead end and was now like, you know, swearing under my breath while I was backtracking. Cause I don't remember how close the last turn off was. Right. So like the same forward momentum brought to a halt, but like you felt that burden from like level one. Right. And I didn't feel that burden until like level seven. Right. But then, I mean, but ultimately the 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 same the same problem persists mm. right which is you know the fact that in order to successfully complete a level you have to hundred percent it which is not should never be a requirement in a game well you especially know? a game um, that is again ostensibly a collectathon right if it right. if it was like Mario where you have to get to the flag and I'm here I'm talking like Super Mario Brothers like you have to get to the goal or Sonic the Hedgehog where you have to get to the little sign thing like you could argue that that's a kind of hundred percenting because there's only one requirement get to the exit, right? In a game where it's go in, collect over a hundred things, right? A hundred notes, 10 jiggies, a bunch of skulls, feathers, all this other crap, like go in and collect dozens and dozens and dozens of items. Don't die. And then gracefully exit the level. Like you set a way higher bar, right? And again, and that's to in order to just beat the game. Now, again, with Mario, you know, Mario 64, like, yes, the the game would be, a, you can't, I'm sure it could be. A, I never even tried for 150 stars. Like somebody told me <laughs> that that was possible. And I'm like, I can think off the top of my head, four stars that I have zero interest in ever trying to go and get. <laughs> like, I know where they are. I've actually watched other people and go and get them. And I have no desire to do that. So I was just like, okay, well, I will never do that. I've still beaten the game. I still feel I've gotten a very satisfying experience out of it. Um, and I'm good. And if this game had done something similar where, you know, yeah, if you get, you know, half of the notes, then you can get through the bulk of the game. And if you get 75% of the notes, then you get the special ending. And if you get 100% of the notes, then you get like all this extra cool stuff. I'd be like, yep, you know what? No problem. But the fact that you have to get like 80, 90% of the notes in order to proceed. And again, you've got to get them in one, one shot, which means that you are you in order to play this game and have a satisfying experience experience, unlike what the game kind of leads you to believe you have got to set aside some time to play it like JRPG level time to get a satisfying experience, which is not what typically this type of game and definitely not what the animation style and the aesthetic leads you to believe the Snickers time will be. And I think that that to me is not, it's not the difficulty, but it's the Snickers time is where I feel that the game's aesthetic is misleading. 
Yeah. The, and this actually, the another mechanical side effect I had is uh, this completely, once I had this realization, this completely changed my relationship with enemies in the world because I'm like, I'm a tolerably good video game player, I guess. But once I realized the time that was on the line, like, oh, if I've been exploring mm-hmm. for notes for 30 minutes and then I die and then I have to sink at minimum that 30 minutes in again, plus whatever remaining time to get the remaining notes that turned me into a psychopath because (laughs) then as soon as I became aware that there was an enemy like within my field of view, I stopped what I was doing, including abandoning platform challenges to go and kill those enemies because generously the enemies do not respawn. Right. They only they respawn Mm -hmm. in between like lives or if you exit or return to the level. But as long as you stay in the level, even if you go like in and out of areas, because there's lots of internal spaces like you go into the haunted house and then you're in the graveyard outside and then you go into the church and then you're in the, you know, the area outside. Like once you know that the enemies can be perma killed, that makes exploring way less terrifying. Right. And so. I realized that that was a thing that I could do when I was going back to like trying hundred percent all these levels. And I was like, Oh, I'll just set aside five minutes at the beginning of every level to march around and kill everyone. And then I can explore at my leisure. Right. And that's like that. Can, <laughs> because at first, when I was first playing, I was like, you know, Oh, I'm not going to go over there and mess with that enemy. Cause I only have two honeycombs. But once I had to go into every nook and cranny, cause I had to get every single note or I had to turn up that last jiggy I couldn't find. I was like, well, it's him or me and it's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and and now I'm just, just picturing, you know, like uh, this, this, giant grizzly bear with you know like a huge bird on his back like landing superhero <laughs> style like and then saying through its 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 gritted teeth like it was him or me and it wasn't gonna be me and banjo being like right that's right <laughs> you know like that's kazooie you ass oops yeah. my bad whatever one uh, of those yeah, you get people. you get the joke <laughs> yeah uh knowledge you but yeah that's that's that was kind of, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of other stuff, but that was kind of the meat of, of my thing, which was, you know, if you, it, it is, it is spectacular to me how you can just make little tweaks. Cause if somebody said, you know, yeah, in Mario, you collect stars in Banjo-Kazooie, you collect notes and, you know, notes, jiggies and mumbo jumbo tokens. Like, you know, it's just collecting stuff. It's like, yes, but execution wise, it completely changes it. And so then ultimately you have these key performance indicators, like what is the cycle time? What is the Snickers time? What is, you know, the, uh, like the core experience? Like what is the error rate? Like all these things that you have to monitor because you can mechanics wise, keep the same stuff and then throw one of those way out of proportion and, uh, without even noticing it. Like, I mean, without, uh, first-hand experience i wouldn't have been able to tell you that this radically changes the game experience but it absolutely does no it absolutely does and i i feel like we're getting close to the end here but i I have two two things that i want to specifically mention um about the conclusion of the game um but before that uh one story that i think is just uh kind of funny um so i was playing this and susan said um wait is this crash bandicoot 
And I said, no. And before I could continue, like with a more robust response, she said, is it a ripoff of Crash Bandicoot? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was interesting because I was like, oh, Crash Bandicoot actually has broken out of the video game culture into more general pop culture, whereas I don't think Banjo really did. And I know that that's a single data point, but it does corroborate the feeling that I had already been building. So I'm going to go with it. Um, But to tell my story... Nothing... (laughs) Have you ever have you ever heard the phrase confirmation bias? You know what? Don't worry about it. It's fine. Keep going. <laughs> I have once, and I remember it not changing my mind. And now I'm going to remember this as not changing my mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I wanted to mention uh, that the whole story of this game is that the witch is trying to steal the youth and beauty of your sister. I think it's your sister. She's not, it's not your girlfriend. It's yes. your sister. Yeah. 2D. Yes. Um, no, it's, it's your sister or cousin, but I think it's your yeah, sister. Yeah. yeah. Family, not love. It's not a love story, right? It's not Mario rescuing the princess, which I actually think they did on purpose. Um, but throughout uh, Grundy's castle, did I call her Gertie earlier? I think I did. Throughout the castle, whatever, the witch's castle, the bad lady, um, you see her sister who looks kind of like the good fairy. And she's just crapping on her sister every single time you talk to her. And to the point where I was like, this is too specific to just be here to be funny. Like she's telling me these very specific facts over and over. Like, oh, when you know Grundy was in high school, this was the club she was in, or this was her boyfriend's name, or this was like and but in this like really like aggressively bullying kind of like her underwear is gray and she's got like poop stains and like, oh, she has a booger collection. Like all these really like mean bullying, like the way like the cool older sister might bully her like younger, awkward, nerdy sister. And I was like, this, this doesn't really feel like it aged really well. Like this is, they're kind of <laughs> glorifying bullying. And and I thought about that for a little bit and I was like, oh, you know, like I don't, I don't have to get up on my soapbox and like make part of the episode about how poorly that all aged. The reason that I'm bringing it up is because there's actually an amazing payoff to all of that, which is at the end of the game, right before the actual final boss, there's a part of the overworld that is a gigantic board game and you can only move one square at a time. And each square is a different kind of challenge. Some of them are platforming challenges where it literally transports you to a part of the game you've already done, but you have to do it in like 30 seconds. Some of them are musical challenges where it plays like two seconds of music and then you have to say which level it's from. But then a lot of them are like Gertie facts. And so it's like, oh, like what was Gertie's like? What did she collect when she was in high school? And I was like, Oh, and none of them are insulting. Like, they're straight facts at that point. The only person who treats them as if they're a bad thing is her (laughs) older sister. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure that this actually is trying to glorify bullying. I think it's their way of saying how crappy and miserable of a person her sister is. Like, (laughs) they're using bullying as a way to illustrate, like, this character is terrible. And whether or not that's true, I don't know. But, like the payoff of 
you have to have internalized and memorized the game world very deeply is super novel and it's super clever and it's really fascinating. And just this whole, like you have to know the music and you have to know the names of the bosses and you have to know uh, how to do these platforming challenges. And you have to know about the final boss like that. You've been trying to defeat all this time and like what her friggin' backstory is. I was like, this is amazing. And when I got to the, it took me probably two or three tries, but when I got to the end of that, I was like, this is the coolest final boss in like maybe any platforming game I've ever played. Oh Hmm. no, wait. And that's when I had the realization that I didn't have enough jiggies and I didn't have enough notes. And there is a traditional final boss fight and it's all Twitch controls (laughs) and platform. I was like, no, no, like the board game should be (laughs) how it ends. And I'm not just saying this because I couldn't beat the last final boss. Like that's whatever. I'm an adult. I don't, that's not going to haunt me, but like, (laughs) but (laughs) no, I'm not, but, (laughs) but the, 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 it feels like they had this amazing opportunity and here's why I'm positive. They know, and then we can finish the episode. Here's why I'm positive. They know they had this amazing opportunity. When you beat the board game, they show you, an ending and at but then it's like oh we forgot yes it's literally you're having a party celebrating that you rescued tootie because by the way you rescue her and then tootie comes out of the house and says what are you celebrating get back up there and finish the job and you go running back in and then you go and you climb to the top of the tower and then you beat the final boss. And I, and then there is like more ending after that. But I was like, no, 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 no. Like you had it. You like you got the little joke that like, oh, it was a false ending. But like that should have been it. It should have been this complete, total, like flip all your expectations on their head. It, it, it honestly... I I almost can't enjoy the brilliance of it because it feels like it's a lost opportunity to not end the game there. So you know what they should have done, right? Is is made it well. Yeah. So then then basically, what if? Because then that's when 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 they send you back in. That's when you have to get all of those extra points and you know in order to finish the game, right? Yeah, you you could argue it's the difference between the ending and the true ending. But it's not framed well enough. It's not at know? all. Right, because, you know, it's basically like, no, the game's not over, go back in there and finish it. It should have just been like, and they all lived happily ever after. And then, you know, like once it's done, it kind of plops you back in the game and it's like, oh, but, you know, Gertie still exists, you know, and something. like They, they should have framed it in a way where it's like, I would have loved to, instead of, you know, like to be talking with somebody at the playground and being like, yeah, beat Banjo-Kazooie. It's kind of cool how or weird how, you know, like you didn't get to fight Gertie at the end. It's like and like him shiftily looking back and forth and saying, oh, you can fight Gertie. Wait, really? It's like, oh, yeah, no. What you have to do is and then, you know, it's like, yeah, you got to like 95 percent the game, but then you can you can go fight Gertie because then it would be like just like people going and seeing yoshi you know but uh it's not really framed that way it's more so framed as like a almost like in um in doom when it's like the baby mode versus (laughs) normal mode versus extreme mode where it's like well i just i don't i'm not a baby i just don't 
want to play on a game that's that's hard i just i just want to like have some fun like i have been playing civilization 6 and i have not moved the bar off of settler which is the easiest possible difficulty ever because i don't want to play that game i don't want to play the game where i'm like desperately stressing over every single move i like just coming home kicking off my shoes and slowly dominating the earth in a very easy <laughs> and routine way and then going to bed that is what I want to do. But, you know, so like this game kind of forced you to play it the way that they wanted to, as opposed to just kind of being like, yeah, you beat the game. Good for you. There's more content if you want to experience more content, but you beat the game. And and that's I think there's a crucial difference there, right, is like user selectable difficulty where it's literally a setting is slightly different than the experience of we have made this game that you can only play on game right there are no settings and then you decide how much of it you want and that's that's the lost opportunity is like a super mario odyssey or a super mario 64 it's not that you might not get to a point where you can't progress through the game but it's it's that there's lots more game if you want to sink your teeth in right so there's a a defined experience start the game beat the last boss and that's designed to be mostly approachable to most players right or or they're trying to get a, a big enough audience whereas banjo kazooie essentially said we are going to design a game where the full experience is basically 100 percenting the game and that's not going to be within the reach of all players and we're okay with that and that's that's neither here nor there that's not like a morally good or bad decision I just think they had an incredible opportunity, even within that framework, to say, here, 80% or 95, really, like 95% of the way through the game, you could satisfyingly stop playing and feel like you're done. But if you want more, there's still some more. And it's super hard. And it's going to be super cool. And if you beat it, you're going to feel wicked triumphant. But they didn't do that. They let you get to that mark. And instead of saying, hey, champ, you did it. You saved your sister. They say, hey, champ, your sister thinks you're an idiot for not finishing the job. Get out of here. And I was just like, uh. And, and I think that, that kind of leads us to, to nicely to the end of the episode because that is a great analog for the collectathon, right? Where it was like so close to being where it needed to be. But that one tweak, if she had just come out and been like, hey, you, you did it, game over, you won, you know? And then you had to go in and find, you know, like that additional little stuff to do that, you know, made you, allowed you to beat Gertie in like a spectacular way. You know, that that would have been great. But instead they just, they tweaked it a little bit and now it's not satisfying. Um, you know, collecting stuff is totally fine. They tweaked it a little bit and they made it not satisfying. It's so Gruntilda... Um, Winky Bunyan is her fa- full name. Yeah, so the witch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with all that said, man, did it hold up? So this is... I, I, I struggled over this more than I normally do, right? Because usually I've kind of got my opinion and then we talk and sometimes you like move my needle a little bit more or, you know, in one direction or the other. But... I really struggled with this because there are things like the camera, the camera didn't age well, right? Don't ever play an N64 game if right. cam- camera controls matter to you. Like, let's just get that out of the way forever. <laughs> um, but the more I thought about it, the more I started to be kind of influenced by one of your yardsticks, which is like, would I recommend this and who would I recommend it to? 
And I think that the way they break my mental model of a collectathon is actually exactly how I would recommend this game to someone. Because I would say, uh, visually speaking, aurally speaking, uh, mechanically speaking, mostly, uh, the game holds up, like, no question. Like, most of that stuff aged exceptionally well, and in some cases, like, didn't age at all. Like, it's as fun now and as charming now as I'm sure it was then. Um, some of the things, like the dive bombing, the, the garbage camera controls, like, that stuff, yeah, it sucks, but it's it's all doable. Um, where the collectathon breaks down and you're not really collecting things, you're just actually trying to get a full set to even get to the end of the game. How unbelievably difficult the spike in the last two levels plus the final boss are like the two worlds, not the board game thing, but like the last two worlds the the difficulty spike in those two worlds is unreal compared to the previous like six or seven. And so the more I thought about it, the more I thought about the collectathon, I was like, you know what? I could recommend this game to anyone if I told them, stop playing when you stop having fun. Like, stop collecting when you're no longer enjoying collecting. Don't let the game tell you when you're done collecting. Just stop playing when you're done collecting. Because the early levels are so charming and so fun and it's so interesting and you can see how this influenced later collect-a-thon games, right? Because they did some stuff really poorly, but they did some stuff really, really well. And they built this very interesting little universe. So yeah, would I recommend this game? Absolutely. What I wouldn't recommend is don't necessarily try to finish it and don't feel bad about it if you don't want to finish it. So with that asterisk, (laughs) I would actually say no nostalgia goggles needed, but be prepared to like piece them out on Batman whenever that is for you. If that's as to the first level or the second or the eighth, if you just get to that piece I'm out on Batman, you know, point, like just be done and just be glad you got to enjoy this piece of pop culture. So I'm just imagining like you're like that meme of the guy pointing at himself in the mirror. It's like, you don't let the game tell you when you're done. <laughs> you tell you when you're done. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a hundred percent that. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, I've got to go nostalgia monocle. Um, basically for all of the reasons that you said it's just it just pushes me a little bit further into the you know because i think it would be so easy for someone to you know pick up this game and be like like oh shit i i I should go back and play banjo kazooie and not remember or not realize the amount of time and energy you have to sink into it in order to get a satisfying experience. So to me, that huge asterisk pushes it into nostalgia monocle experience, you know, or nostalgia monocle territory where, you know, if you, yeah, you know, if you just like want to play the first few levels and then when you're done, you're done, that's, that's great. But the game really does push you to go and collect and, and, and 100% it. And, uh, and I think that, that that can kind of push me in a place where I would want to get jiggy with it, but instead it kind of makes it more grisly. The curtain falls, the music plays, the credits roll, then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself, the fanfare is gone, there's no player two. There by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events 
leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land battling evil fighting the darkness just sword in hand your memories creeping with the end of a smile you realize again what you've lost for a while you're gonna think back much less on how you saved the day than on all the experience days at the end of it all gamers play what we play Right.